Welcome to Crown of Roses, a podcast about all the best things in life, faith, family, friendship, books, and motherhood. I'm Katie Shannon. This is episode two. Before we get into um, prayer with Mary, her intercession um, on our behalf, the mysteries of the rosary, like the Annunciation and the Visitation and all those wonderful things that Mary brings to us, I feel it's important to talk about who Mary was as a real woman, what her life was like, what her struggles might have been, the community in which she lived, uh, her town of Nazareth, what her life would have been like. When Mary becomes unreal, so does the incarnation of God, and so does the physical suffering of Jesus, because he took on his humanity from his mother, Mary. So it's important that we see her as a real woman with a real life who did real things in a specific time and place. Um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen says that when God willed to become man, he had to decide on the time of his coming, the country in which he would be born, the city in which he would be raised, the people, the race, the political and economic systems that would surround him, the language he would speak, and the psychological attitudes with which he would come in contact as the Lord of history and as the Savior of the world. All these details would depend entirely on one factor, the woman who would be his mother. To choose a mother is to choose a social position, a language, a city, an environment, a crisis, and a destiny. And we all know that God chose Mary to be his son's mother. And it would be an error of us to just examine her in the abstract. It is important to know what her life was like, how she lived, and um, the things that she faced on a day-to-day basis. So God picked this particular woman, Mary, she was a poor girl in a small village in um, a t- this village that was under Roman occupation and ruled by a violent king. Now, people have p- been petitioning Mary for 2,000 years. They've been praying the Hail Mary for around 1,000 years. Who is this woman that we turn to in times of great despair and stress and worry and who always comes through for us? Well, She began life as a young Jewish girl named Miriam. Her name would have been Miriam um, after the sister of Moses. She had no influence in the society of her time, none. She was as humble and lowly as you could find. She was around 13 years old when she comes on the scene in the Bible. Now, we're used to these, these portraits of Mary looking a certain way. But in fact, if we want to picture the young 13-year-old girl named Miriam, she would have had Middle Eastern features. She would have had dark hair and eyes. Um, She would have spoken Aramaic, a kind of um, Aramaic with a Galilean accent or patois. Her parents were Anne and Joachim, and what can be gathered about them was that they were um, older parents, barren, longing for a child. These were deeply holy people, and it kind of fits in the tradition of Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament. 
they lived very simple lives. So if you're picturing Mary, she would have been wearing a very humble garment, like、um, a linen undergarment with a tunic over it and a cloak draped over her shoulder, and she would have had a veil covering her hair. She、uh, she couldn't read. But she would have come of age、uh, in a culture that had a very strong oral tradition, and in her society, she would have heard scriptures and stories spoken aloud. So she would have had a strong background in the scriptures, even though she herself could not have read them. She would have grown up assisting her mother and other relatives with chores, fetching water, planting and harvesting, preparing meals. Now there was no. Sense of adolescence at the time. There was no such thing as a teenager or a time of adolescence. Life expectancy at that time and in that place was around the age of thirty. Most people didn't even live past their fifteenth birthday. So, girls married early, around the age of thirteen, which is why we believe that Mary was around thirteen when the Annunciation occurred. Families arranged these marriages, so. The marriage of Mary and Joseph was already in the works when the Annunciation occurred. They were in the first part of a two-stage Jewish wedding ceremony. So, in the first part, which is the status at which they were、um, at the Annunciation, Joseph would have given a dowry to Mary's family, and they would have been considered legally wed. However, the wife Mary would continue to live with her family for about a year after what was known as the betrothal. Then, after that, there would be、uh, an official wedding ceremony, and she would leave her parents' home and move into Joseph's home. So this situation was why it was such a problem that all of a sudden Mary was pregnant. She was. Betrothed to Joseph, yes, which in our culture and time would mean engaged. But in fact, in her her home in Nazareth, and to the Jews in that time and place, it was really like you were married. So, I mean, they were considered legally married. So, pregnancy outside of marriage was very, very dangerous for a woman. Even though Mary had not begun to live with Joseph yet, it was considered adultery because she was again considered legally wed to him. Women could be subject to violence; they could be ostracized, shunned, rejected、uh, under these circumstances. And yet, Mary said yes. Now, Joseph, we often. Usually think of him as a carpenter.、Um, if you look at the Greek word that's used, what it really translates into is a journeyman、um, or a skilled workman or craftsman. So he was respected in the community and religious, and would have been someone who would not have wanted to necessarily take on this relationship and continue with it, particularly in this small town. Where something like this would have been considered quite scandalous. So, speaking of that small town, Nazareth, in the Gospel of John, the disciple Nathaniel wondered, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" This place was a backwater. It was halfway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, 
and far from Jerusalem. It was on the edge of a vast Roman empire with a population of only a few hundred. It was poor, it was small, and it didn't figure into any of the Old Testament prophecies. So nobody expected that the Messiah would come from there. It was basically the last place anyone would expect Christ to come from. So in addition to all this, it was not held in esteem by the Jewish people. They kind of looked askance at people from Nazareth because that area had a lot of foreigners in it, and it was also far from the temple. Additionally, there were some events that occurred around Mary and, J- and Jesus' lifetime that caused um, further scandal to be associated with Nazareth. Nazareth was not far from a, where a Roman armory had been robbed, and as a result, the Romans retaliated by crucifying 2,000 Jews um, to try to stop for uh, any more revolts from occurring. These Roman persecutions and Jewish insurrections are important because Jesus would have been aware of them as well as Mary, and it is obvious that these would have in some way inspired his message of nonviolence. At the time in Nazareth, people lived in multifamily homes around a central courtyard, so you would find three generations in one home. So you would see grandparents, parents, and children all sharing the same space and resources. There really wasn't a lot of privacy or a lot of autonomy or room for individuality, really. There were one or two room homes um, made of stone, and like I said, around a central courtyard. And within the courtyard, there was an oven with um, a cistern, and they were shared by all members of the family. And they also kept animals like their chickens or goats there. The women would all work together. It was very communal. They cooked and washed and um, washed clothes and tended the livestock all together. Now, These were very, very simple people um, and somewhat impoverished, and their diets were very simple. So what they ate was rather limited. They grew barley, and the women would grind it um, into grain with a stone mill. So this was very, very hard work. You had to get down on your hands and knees and rub a stone across this grain that was spread on a larger stone and and literally grind it up yourself to make flour. So typically we think of Mary in this kind of fragile, um, ethereal sort of way, but when in fact she was very strong. She would have had to be strong to survive and thrive in this community. So barley and this, this grinding of the grain was very important because bread was the main staple of this working class diet. In fact, most of their caloric intake came from grain, so it was really important that these women took the time to do this task. In fact, it it was a large part of how they spent their time. Um, In addition to the the bread, they would have um, goat or sheep cheese, olives, figs, lentils, chickpeas, and possibly some fish. People rarely ever ate meat, except on holidays and the Sabbath. This was a very humble existence and really contrasts with our own. So it's important to realize that Mary was a peasant and she came from um, peasant fam- a peasant family and she lived 
what we would consider today in poverty. 90% of the population in that area were peasants, and they bore a triple tax burden. They had, were taxed by Rome, they were taxed by King Herod, and they paid a tithing or a tax to the temple. So of that population, artisans like Joseph made up about 5% of the population. They had an even lower income than full-time agricultural workers. So to have food, they also had to farm. So we hear Jesus in his parables. So many of them are agriculturally based. And that's probably for two reasons. First of all, it was more relatable to the people with whom he was speaking because they lived in an agricultural economy. But secondly, because it would have been something he was familiar with. He worked in the fields alongside his, his father. The homes had to be self-sustaining. You had to make your own bar- um, grow your own barley so you could make your own bread. You had to have your own goat so you could get milk from it. Um, these were subsistence farming. This was not something where they were selling lots of um, of their their what they grew, their crops, to make lots of money. That was not what was going on. This was to take care of their family and their community and have food to eat. Women would wake and begin work at dawn, and they wouldn't be done until sunset. They, in addition to, you know, what they did in their homes as homemakers, they would also help their husbands in the field, doing the plowing and working alongside them, which was incredibly difficult labor. In addition, they oversaw gardens. They would tend the livestock. They maintained storage of the food. Um, They made textiles and pottery. They were also responsible for following a strict biblical dietary law for the preparation and serving of food as Jewish people. They had to make sure that everything was ready for the Sabbath. That was their big responsibility. Now, they lived in a barter society. They, they really had limited contact with currency, so they would often trade. Like, if one of them had a surplus of uh, sheep or goat's cheese, then and somebody else had a lot of lentils. They would they would um, switch off and trade with each other and barter. They didn't see money or currency really unless they went to Jerusalem, which they would do around three times a year on pilgrimages because that's what the Jews were called to do as part of their faith. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem. So, unfortunately. Even though they were incredibly religious, the temple was far away from them. They didn't really have that experience frequently. It was a very special thing to visit the temple. Most didn't get to um, spend much time there. So there were small synagogues established throughout the countryside. There was, in fact, one in Nazareth. And that is where Jesus first did some of his learning and teaching, and Mary herself would have attended services there. So, Timothy George says that Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was his mother, for if she had not believed, she would not have conceived. Next time, we're going to talk about that special conception, not even Jesus's yet, but hers, the Immaculate Conception. Um... So stay tuned. Uh, That's all I have for today. Uh, I hope to have another episode up next week. We'll see how it goes with my little kitties. 
Uh, until then, you can find me on Instagram as Mama Historian or on my blog where I try to blog when I have a chance at crownofrose.com. Thanks for listening. I'll be praying for you, sisters.